everyone, I'm Lale Ari Cogley, and you're listening to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. Almost 150,000 women ask for tips, comments, and recommendations in our Facebook group every day, which is, if you haven't guessed already, is also called Women Who Travel. And this week, we're back for our fourth FAQ installment on this podcast. With me in the studio today is my co-host, Meredith Carey. Hello. Plus community editor, Megan Spirell. Hi. And special projects director, Lauren DiCarlo. Hello. Hi, everyone. We're so excited because we have been doing this FAQ version of the Facebook group on the podcast for a couple months now, and we have just officially on womenwhotravel.com launched an advice column, which also pulls questions from the group and taps Megan uh, (laughs) to answer them or find people who can. Can you talk a little bit about what the advice column even is? Yeah. So this is like our fourth episode, as Meredith said, and I think when we've done these episodes, we've realized there's so many questions in the group, and we get a lot of questions from our community when we share the different podcast episodes, and so we kind of wanted to have a place where we can really dive deep on some of the meteor questions every month. Uh, You can send in your questions uh, either through the group or email us at womenwhotravel at cntraveler.com, and we will answer anything. And if I can't answer it, I will find someone who can. Um, But yeah, we're just excited to kind of use the wisdom we have to answer your questions. Megan, you saying answering anything makes me want to immediately send trolley questions to you. <laughs> you know, I was hoping for a few more trolley questions from some of our friends, and I didn't get that many, actually. I got some really good questions, um, but send me your troll questions, too. And so tell us a little bit about the advice column that came out last week because I feel like that was a question that gets asked a lot in the group and I think is something that lots of women who love to travel but are juggling lots of things in their lives are asking. So we had someone write in uh, through Instagram actually and she basically just asked the question that I'm sure many new mothers do of like how in the world do I convince my husband to go on a trip with our small children, get the small children somewhere far away and have a good trip while doing it. Um, and so that was a pretty fun one to dig in too, because I'm no mother, but uh, we have many <laughs> here like Lauren um, who have a lot of wisdom that they've learned the hard way. I would emphasis the hard way. <laughs> I think as soon as I saw that question and I saw the word convince, the words convince my husband, it just triggered. It was triggering. I can't tell you. There's so many things that I would advise right off the bat. If you have to convince anybody, just take a minute and think about what you're trying to convince them to do. Because let me just give you an an example. I recently had to convince my husband to go to the beach, to go on a, a quick uh, beachy getaway. And he had, he had some concerns, you know, he's going to be our son who's three, he's going to be bored. You know, he's going to sit at the beach for a few minutes and get bored. You can take him to the pool. Sure. But then we're going to get bored. What are we going to do the whole time? And I was like, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's totally fine. We're going to be in paradise. This is going to be great. Totally got this. Turns out we totally did not got this. And like, (laughs) as soon as we got there, of course, my son is on the beach for about 35 minutes and is like, now what? Can we get out of here? What do we do now? And I was just like, oh my God. And the whole time my husband is shooting me these glances, like I told you, told you this was going to be a problem. And I'm like, no, 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 don't worry about it. We got this. It's cool. Nope. It was not. And then not only was I feeling like I had to, like, perform these tricks and keep everybody, you know, entertained, but then I knew, I knew my husband knew that I knew what he was talking about. And it was just, 
tense and not great. So the point of that story is talk to your partner before and say, what are your concerns? What what do you think is going to happen? And what can we do to prevent that from happening? And what do we do if that does happen? And if you can't get on the same page, then come up with something else because it's just going to be too much to handle when you're in a different location, in a different time zone with your kid. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Well, and it's interesting because when we shared this so, you know, we answered the question, Lauren weighed in, gave like some of these great stories and we had a few other mothers chime in as well. And when we shared the final answer to this question in the group, um, that the word convince was yeah. like the most talked about aspect, like this idea that you're forcing someone. And I wonder if when it was written in, if that was like super intentional or just kind of an off the cuff, like, ah, I want to go. Honestly, um, I think it's just honest because like when you are thinking of a trip and somebody has something else to say, you're, you're, you do want to convince them like, no, this is going to be great. I promise. Like we got this, we can handle it. But you, you cannot convince someone if they are feeling insecure about it or have these anxieties, it's just not worth it to convince them. I mean, you can come up with this like happy medium where you still get to go on that trip and say you did this trip because I think a lot of the times one of the things you have to realize is the trip, especially when you have a super young baby or a young toddler or whatever, the trip that you think you're going to have is not the trip that you had pre-baby. And no matter what you convince yourself of, it's never going to be that thing. And the first step is to admit that and say, this vacation is going to be unlike any other one we've ever been on. Can we agree to that? Great. Now let's move on to that. And and if you're honest about it and you're honest about like what the thing, what the trip will look like, those little hiccups or like major, you know, earthquakes that you encounter won't be as devastating because at least you realize, like, we talked about this. We knew this was going to happen. Let's adjust. But also I would say, like, you know, for your first trip with a, with a baby, don't go, like, on the biggest adventure of your life. Like, just stay close. Bring your in-laws. Bring your parents if you can, you know. I know the idea of traveling with your in-laws sounds maybe to some like the most <laughs> horrific nightmare, but just it's, That's you need support. Yeah, you answer. need support. <laughs> you do need support. And if that means, you know, having your mother-in-law or your father-in-law or even your mother there to just be there when the child wakes up in the morning so you can sleep in a little bit, like that makes all the difference. You know, you're talking about kind of like treating these trips differently than you did before. And one of the questions that gets asked in the group every once in a while is like, when should you start? And I know that we've talked about this before off this podcast, but, um, you know, I think people are looking for advice or approval or whatever it is about like when to, when it's an okay time when they might not be as stressed, when the convincing might not be as difficult. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a perfect age that you think works for people or is it just to each their own. Honestly, I haven't found it yet. Our son is three. It's not three. <laughs> I can tell you that. Check with me next year. Maybe four is better. I don't know. But I mean, I think what I've learned is I know what we're capable of and what we're not capable of. And I know that I would much rather do a couple of days in a house with my parents and my sisters and their kids where there's like this village to help us. But you know, just the three of us at a resort on a beach for three or four days, it's really hard for for us. It's really hard. Some people, I know that that's like they're safe. You know, that's like the safety zone is like an all-inclusive where you don't have to really think of anything. You're not traipsing around some city and, you know, doing all of these things that you used to do. 
Um, but for me, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit slower into figuring this out. Um, but that's, I think that's like to each their own, I, I think. So I think that was interesting when talking to the different mothers for this and seeing again the comments in the group when we first shared it was a lot of people talking about like this question of if it's for your kids or for you. Mm-hmm. And I think something interesting was just people being like, maybe your kids won't remember it. Maybe it'll be a disaster. But that like getting used to the idea of being uncomfortable, exposed to new things is so valuable. And yeah. I just, I don't know. I think it's impressive that mothers like go through what you've gone yeah. through to give their kids that you know and I think it's I think it's important for kids to feel uncomfortable a little bit and taken out of their routine and I think that applies to parents as well I think that for so many of us we get stuck in our routine of just being a parent and sticking to that schedule in the routine and I think when you shake it up a little bit and you know go to a different place and and knock it all off off schedule there's I think that's valuable but I go into it knowing that it's going to be really hard at certain times. You know, it's not going to be the best vacation you ever had. It won't even be something you can really even call a vacation, but it's an experience that you have. And I think the next time it'll be better and you learn how to do it better, but uh, it's not a vacation. It's not relaxing. It's an experience. Lauren, I'm wondering, you're talking about this from a slightly unique perspective, which is that you work for a travel magazine Mm -hmm. and you've been a travel editor for a while. And did you feel a pressure to be able to travel with your kid sooner and better? Totally. I, you know, I've had so many coworkers over the years who are taking their kids all over the world, taking them to restaurants in Paris and all of these things. And I hear it and I'm like, well, why can't I, what am I doing wrong that I'm not able to do that? Or, what am I doing wrong that I don't feel comfortable or empowered to do that? And and it's, I don't think it's me. I think it's just, I know what my day-to-day looks like. And I know that if Charlie is throwing a shit fit at dinner in my house, then like chances are he's going to do that in a hotel restaurant. You know, it's he, all of a sudden in in some beautiful restaurant, he's not going to just all of a sudden be on, a, on his best behavior. You know, I see a lot of people, you know, those beautiful Instagram families who are traveling the world. And I'm like, what, what, how am I, what am I missing? Like, how am I not able to do this thing? And I think there's a lot that is not shown on Instagram. I think there's a lot that's not told, you know. And it's the same way, you know, Lale talking about like coworkers who have had these amazing trips. They talk about all the amazing parts of it, but I don't think they're sharing necessarily all the parts that are terrible or the fights that they had with their husbands or wives and you know the the times when they felt like oh my god I would literally rather be anywhere but here and I think that it really helps to hear someone be honest about it and know that it's not it's always not going to be great it's always not going to be easy and uh you know, it. you're never going to fully be able to master it in the way that you did when you were traveling by yourself or with your partner and however you traveled before kids. Like it, it completely just throws it out of whack. And I think knowing that other people are having a really hard time figuring out how to do it is it, it, it makes me feel it makes me feel like I have to tell people it's OK to to not feel like you want to just jump on a flight for 12 hours with your three-year-old like I don't I don't ever want to do that thing (laughs) 
And it's okay. It's fine. Do it when they're five, six, seven, you know? Um, that's okay. So kind of along those lines, Steph in the group asked her best friend's daughter is about to graduate from high school and she hasn't really had the opportunity to travel in the first 17 years of her life. And she is like an amazing best friend because she wants to treat her best friend's <laughs> daughter to um, a trip after graduation, which I think is wow. really lovely. Um, we need more of those people. That's the best gift ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all have this yeah. like, family friend. Yeah, seriously. Um, but if you're 17 and leaving the country for the first time, where would you want to go? What kind of trip would you want to have? If oh, this is your God. first big 12-hour flight, six-hour flight, two-hour flight, who knows? So the options are endless. Endless. She hasn't specified budget. She, no, oh. no. Lolly's like, I'll <laughs> wow. her on. That's how <laughs> I like Australia. <laughs> um, odds are it would probably be right after graduation, so first week of June-ish. But I feel like we can be flexible, use our imaginations. Where would you, Where would you send this new graduate? Hmm. I mean, this isn't an out of the box idea, but I just like try to think of myself at that age. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was like be in Paris or London. You know, I just wanted to sit on one of those chairs facing the street and like have a croissant and feel fabulous, which I obviously wasn't because I was 16. That was mean. Wasn't that mean (laughs) to 16 year olds? No. No. <laughs> okay, I just was like, that was shame. Also, do you think 16-year-olds are listening to this podcast? <laughs> it was no. more a dig at yourself at yeah, 16. I, I, I know, just I like, just like, what was Megan like It's just 16? like, you have this fabulous, this idea, of, you know, okay. Then I was like, <laughs> you're on a roll. You're on a roll. <laughs> All right, you're in okay. the chair, you're eating your croissant. You feel fabulous, which... You know, not everyone is 16. Also, um, if you are 16 and you do listen to this podcast, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you've seen so many movies of this. It's like such a fantasy you have. And I think like now, like Paris is somewhere I'd love to be. There are like 12 other places before it on my list. But I think at that age, it feels conquerable. You'll see other people like you walking around doing the exact same thing, like indulging those same dreams. And it just, it's so amazing. I don't know. I think that like I would do... Paris or like Rome or just these places that you've like dreamed about. Also I think it's there's this element of I'm thinking about when I was that age and it's like all you want to do is be this independent adult and there's something about like being in a city like I've got this. I'm Mm -hmm. doing it. I'm going to have a glass of wine. Well and if you're in Paris, (laughs) yeah, firstly you you can, someone will serve you a glass of wine. (laughs) And also, you know, it's a big city. It's a relatively safe city like Mm -hmm. you can go off and explore on your own a bit at least I did when I went to Paris when I was that age um and so then you really get to kind of play adult which Mm -hmm. is so exciting and you get to kind of learn a lot while you're doing it and I think one of the amazing things about traveling when you're that age and traveling for maybe the first time is that travel cliches don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you haven't experienced anything, so you're not going to roll your eyes or a- at anything. Like yeah. everything is going to be exciting. Standing outside the Moulin Rouge, still super exciting. <laughs> Walking up the Eiffel Tower, still super exciting. Which I'll, I mean, I'm was, still excited yeah. by that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I also, that's the thing. Some things will never get old. Yeah. And I also would say if you're not doing an international trip, like New York does that for you. Yeah. It's that feeling of being in this gigantic place and like, Figuring out the subway yourself just feels like so empowering and amazing. And I think it's like nice to 
get to experience those feelings before you become like jaded and just are like, ah, big city, like people in my way. Like it just, Mm -hmm. you get the magic a little bit more. When I graduated high school, I went to Vancouver with my Mm -hmm. mom and my best friend and her mom. And we in part thought that the drinking age was 18 and it was actually 19, which was a real (laughs) bummer when we got there. Oh, that is crushing. (laughs) We got served the first night. And then the second night they were like, um, you guys, I don't think we're old enough. And we're like, no, 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 we're 18. And they were like, no, no. Um, But it was really nice because we got kind of a mix of city Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, being from Texas, it was like still cool in June. And then we got to do like a lot of hiking and outdoor stuff, which was also, it was a good mix and it wasn't that far and it wasn't that expensive, Mm -hmm. which were all pretty great options. Yeah. Actually, I had my, um, I sort of like said that I didn't have anyone in my life that would have done that for me, but I actually did kind of get to do that, Um, which is my... When my best friend turned 18, her parents said that they would take her to Italy and she could bring two friends with her. So she brought me and another friend and we were near Lake Verona in this like beautiful Italian town. And that was actually great because firstly, we were staying in this like beautiful, beautiful place that we were very lucky to be able to stay at. But secondly, there was this small town in the middle of Italy that we could just run around on our own in. And, you know, we were 18, we were adults, but just barely and it felt foreign and new and exciting but it also felt very accessible like we knew our way around quickly we didn't have to master transport systems and we could just like eat and Mm. drink and then find our own way back to the hotel and that was also kind of perfect doing something on a smaller scale I also think just to like talking more about Europe Europe is so great because you can just like pop on a train and get somewhere else. So you kind of get like a few destinations in, you know, like Amsterdam, you could just Amsterdam, Paris, London, like it's so easy just to hop around. Um, So you get so much more bang for your buck, as they say. Like I'm sure the... This woman who wants to give this great gift doesn't have interrailing in mind, but (laughs) being 18 years old and interrailing around (laughs) Europe is a lot of fun. The best. Um, Keeping with the travel agent hat, Kelly in Philadelphia just found out that her office is going to be closed for three days at Christmas and she still has two vacation days left, which means she will have the entire week off Mm. and wants to know where she should go for Christmas. They are outdoorsy types. We did Christmas in Mexico one year and it was fantastic. I thought all of us East Coasters would be missing the snow and the cold. Nope. It's great. Nope. <laughs> Where in Mexico did you go? Oh, God. I don't even remember. I was, I think I was like 15 or 16. And I think that was my first uh, foray into lots of margaritas. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know where we were. <laughs> I love how this has just turned into an underage drinking podcast. Yeah. Well, in Mexico, I felt like it was, I was, yeah. Underage drinking in America means something different <laughs> yeah. from the rest of the world. <laughs> I will say she mentions wanting to catch northern lights. And Mm. I know that going to a cold place in the winter isn't necessarily everyone's idea of a great vacation. But I would say Iceland would probably be Mm -hmm. a pretty great trip, especially from Philly. Erica Owens, who was on our podcast a few weeks ago, um, has some great intel on traveling to Iceland, especially when it's cold. So go check out her Instagram and also the Iceland stories on Kayas Traveler. but I, I would say Iceland. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it better to see the Northern Lights? Do you have more of a chance to see them if you're in Norway? Or is Iceland the best? You have a better chance of seeing them like the closer you are to the Arctic Circle. Yeah. 
So yeah, Norway, yes, but you'd have to be in pretty rural Norway where you wouldn't have to be as far away from a major city if you or major town, at least if you're in Iceland. I always see people in the group debating their chances as as to whether they're actually going to see them. And I was wondering. And there's no guarantee. And we're also in kind of a little bit of a lull, like it's Northern Lights come in sort of a bell curve and Mm. we're at the bottom. Um, But that doesn't mean they aren't still beautiful and amazing. You just, it might take a few more days. And if you've got eight, you got a better chance. Someone was recently telling me, sorry everyone for this aside, (laughs) that they had gone to see the Northern Lights and were really disappointed because they just didn't show up. They didn't make an appearance. But their guide... (laughs) Dance all her flares. It's like me to most parties. Um, (laughs) And... But their guide was like, okay, well, let's get everyone together for a photo and we'll take a picture. And he took a picture and when they looked at it, the Northern Lights were like illuminating the background to see the flash on. That's amazing. Who was that? that? I don't know, it's an amazing story. (laughs) That's great. 16 year olds and the person who told Lolly the story, (laughs) please contact us. (laughs) Um, You mentioned Mexico and somebody in the group, Kat, um, was wondering if there are any Day of the Dead parades specifically near Playa del Carmen, but any Day of the Dead parades that people should check out in Mexico. And I feel like, Megan, you have thoughts about this. I sure do. I haven't been to Day of the Dead, but I'm dying to go. (laughs) And yeah, I just think like you should definitely do that if you're going to be around. Um, Around when? November 1st, right? Yeah. So it kind of rolls out over Halloween weekend. Um, So you have the 30th, the 31st, the 1st and 2nd are all different holidays based on where you are. So in some places, obviously, like you're going to see decorations and like, you know, related events like in the weeks leading up. But I think if you're in Mexico, I mean, the easiest place to get to to see incredible like Day of the Dead celebrations is Oaxaca. If you're in the city, you can easily check out different cemeteries, see things like right in this, the main square. Um, I know a lot of people think Mexico City is a great spot because of that James Bond movie, um, which was I mean, kind of a scam because they did not have that big Day of the Dead parade that everyone wants to go for. And I think like they do it now, right? Because of the movie. But yes, I I don't. I was in Mexico City over Day of the Dead before that movie came out and there was no parade. (laughs) So the parade that they've instituted, they have partnered with local groups to make sure that it's like culturally appropriate and not just like a prop from the movie. (laughs) And obviously the movie pulled from existing like Mm -hmm. cultural icons that have to do with Day of the Dead. But no, I think the problem there was that Day of the Dead is a pretty somber, while colorful, holiday. So having a parade to celebrate your lost loved ones feels a little off, um, which is why they were working with, obviously, the community of Mexico City to make sure that it was appropriate. Well, I will say there are, like, like if you're in Oaxaca, there actually are, like, big parties in the street, and, like, it, it's celebrated in really different ways in different places. I think if you're in Mexico, you can also go, and we have a story on carnastravel.com, that has like a bunch of different places in Latin America that celebrate it. But like there's a ton of different towns in Mexico that have really distinct traditions that are different from each other. Like Merida has beautiful celebrations. Um, I think Puebla, which is near Mexico city does some, something as well. If you go to Bolivia, for example, they have totally different traditions. And like, let's say you're in um, Peru, they actually have like giant parties in the graveyards where people like wheel in barbecues and boom boxes and like park it on the grave of their family member and like party through the night and then like pass out on the grave and then get Mm. up in the morning and go home. It's like, so it is, 
you know, can be really celebratory, but, um, there are a ton of different places to see it, but I would just say do your research because just because you're in Mexico doesn't mean everywhere is going to have like super authentic mm. experiences that you might have a hotel, you know, putting some face paint on people, but, um, you might want to see the real thing if you're there. And to that point of having in some countries being celebratory and other countries, um, being more somber, if you are wanting to get involved in the Day of the Dead celebrations and kind of be a part of honoring it in some way. How do you do it respectfully, especially if you're Instagramming and you want to like post all the pictures and of everything you've experienced and seen? Because it is so visually impressive. I would use like the rule of thumb you would for any time you're trying to sort of immerse yourself. Um, is like ask someone. So whether that's the concierge of the hotel you're staying in, a guide if you are doing a tour at any point during the trip, um, if you have an Airbnb, like, you know, message your host. And just like I would ask those questions. I always think it's better to ask people things and sound like an idiot than not ask something you should have. Um, and I think, you know, express that you're like, I want to be part of this. Like what's an acceptable way for me to get involved? And I think... A lot of people are excited to bring visitors into their traditions, but I think just ask people. And if like you don't have any kind of local connection um, and you're on the street, like ask someone if it's okay to take a picture of whatever that thing is. And I think if you're unsure if something is like, if you're culturally appropriating something or appreciating something, maybe just stand to the side and observe um, when in doubt. Um, I know Day of the Dead this year is coming up is like right upon us. But um, next year we're actually doing one of our women who travel trips to Mexico City, Oaxaca is going to be over Day of the Dead. Um, So they will be in Oaxaca during this time and like get to meet a local woman who's going to kind of show everyone like how to participate in the celebration in the streets and is also going to take everyone to a local cemetery. So I think like that's a great way to kind of get immersed in it without having to navigate yourself. And we'll throw a link to that trip in the show notes if you are interested in learning more. Next question. So we have a question which is a popular topic of conversation, has come up on our podcast many, many times. But, you know, I can't talk about it enough because I am a big advocate for asking for more time off work. Uh, So Camila in the group asked for any tips on how to negotiate more vacation time off work. Meredith, I know that you have written about this a bunch, talked about it. I <laughs> Feel have so yelled passionate. at your side. Um, what's your advice? Um, first off, you should listen to the podcast where Lolly and I actually talked to our manager, Polly, about negotiating for more time <laughs> off work. We will also link that in the show notes. Um, but I think the biggest thing is to communicate either when you're starting or when you're feeling really crushed by the amount of work or you want to plan a vacation, communicate with your manager. There is no harm in asking. And I think that if you don't ask, the answer will be no automatically. So if you haven't said, hey, I need to take an extra day or, you know, I am looking to tack time off onto a work trip or whatever it is, then you're never going to know what the answer is from your manager and you're just going to create imaginary situations in your head. Um, But I would also recommend if you're starting a new job to work that into your salary negotiations. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you can't um, ask for more money or something outside of the range that you've been given or that you've asked for, ask for a couple more vacation days because not only does that kind of equal out math wise uh, into more money for you, it means that you'll have more time off in the long run and more time to kind of reset. And if you already have a job, bring it up at your reviews. You know, everybody has these at some point. It's so important if you can't get a raise, if you can't get a change in title, if you can't get the promotion that you want, use your vacation days as Meredith said, negotiating tool. It's incredible. Lauren, do you think that 
over time, especially now that you have a family, have you got better at asking for that time or more forceful or more um, confident? I think that my days now are the days that Charlie needs to be off from school. So I'm kind of, uh, <laughs> my vacation days are the Department of Education's <laughs> vacation days. Um, so I think our spring breaks, our summer breaks, like we, we kind of follow that calendar a little bit. But um, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if you got to take a day, you just got to take a day. And I, I think that employers now are so much more flexible than they were maybe 15, 20 years ago. You know, when I started working, if you needed a day off, it was this whole like rigmarole. Why? Fill out this form, do this thing. But I think now you ha there are so many options. Like you could work from home, you could trade days, you can, you know, there's so much more flexibility. So I think if you want to take, you, you got to just take your, first of all, Take the days off you already have. This is so important because so many people don't. Take, I know Meredith. This is your <laughs> this is your mission in life is to <laughs> to encourage Every everyone last to hour. take the days that you have. Um, but like, take the days you have, and if there are more days that you need, like, figure out ways to get them. Because I think that you have more power when you just say, "I need this time off. I will." work another day, I will work overtime, I'll do what I have to do, but you you, you just got to take the time. And I think, again, going back to like communicating, if you don't ask, you're never going to yeah. know if it's an option. So going back to that thing where I said, if you do the math, you make more money if you ask for more vacation days. If you do not take all of your vacation days in the year, you're literally putting money that you were getting paid to not come to work on the table and leaving it behind it's just a waste. It's not even on the table. It's it just, like, like in the toilet. It just, it's gone. It, it is the worst. Listen to our episode with Lindsay Stanberry. There's so many links in the show notes today um, <laughs> where we talk about the math of that and how important it is in just respecting yourself and your self-worth, your financial self-worth to take all of those days. Especially if your days don't roll over, right? They're gone. If your days roll over, then that's a different story. But at this table, our days don't our roll days over. Our days don't and roll anywhere. Use and them up. In certain states, New York being one of them, if I'm correct, you do not get paid out your vacation days nope. when you leave a job. So, again... California does, right? California yes. does? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, use them up. Use them up, people. Use New Yorkers, them use them up. up. <laughs> <laughs> so... Switching directions, Tammy and the group uh, returned home from three years of traveling, which is, I mean, talk about vacation days. <laughs> I think that's a relocation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Tammy lived somewhere else yeah. for a while. <laughs> um, but she is asking about remedies for a serious bout of post-travel blues. And I know that at this table, not many of us can relate to maybe the three years of traveling. And you can hear about people who do relate to that on an episode that we did with Jada Yuan and Renee Honnell. But when you come back from a two-week trip, like how do you make sure you're still excited to come back? Personally, and obviously this all depends where you're going back to. And I'm lucky enough that when I come back from vacation, I go back to New York and before that I was going back to London so I'm very spoiled in terms of having endless resources in a city at my fingertips but when I come back the way that I get over those blues is get really excited to treat the place that I live in as I did the place that I just visited because when you're traveling you make an effort to see things to walk around to eat to like be your most energetic out there self and I try to bring that back into my life once I return home and you know 
doesn't last very long, but it does <laughs> like kind of ease myself back into normal life. I also think like in hearing that question, it kind of resonates with that feeling of when you come back from like study abroad or like um, I moved to Brazil when I graduated teach English and I lived there for a, a little over a year. And I also had these weird feelings coming back of like, you know, reverse culture shock, I guess. And I think for that, I'm not sure if that's like what she's looking for, but I do think that's a common sentiment when you've been gone for like an extended period of time, you know, it doesn't have to be three full years, but like when you're dealing with that reverse shock, it's you find, you can find ways to kind of settle in better. So if, you know, when I came back from Brazil, I really wanted to like hear live Samba music because that was something I used to do every single day. And I missed that. And it made me bummed to be home. And I think you can kind of find those places back at home or wherever you are to make the transition a little easier. And I think if you can't find them, you can create them, invite your friends over, mm. um, you know, maybe don't like exclusively talk about your trip but I or like have a full <laughs> slideshow going of your experience but I think like when my friends come back and they've been in Italy or they've been in Brazil and they're like oh, I want to cook like a potluck and everyone brings a dish from that place and there's music or you watch a movie I think like involving your friends who odds are if you're listening to this podcast your friends like to travel um in that experience also sort of extends the trip and people will be interested in what you have to say. I also think there's something to like that post-trip nesting thing that I love. I mean, even I remember after I did a study abroad um, in Paris 14 million years ago, all I wanted to do was just have dinner parties at my house and have friends over and just have like bottles and bottles of wine and good dinner and and just kind of hang out and and be at home and and catching up with friends who I kind of lost touch with um and I still do that every time I go away there's like this period it's probably like a month post-trip where I I'm just like cooking the most intricate meals and having people just kind of at our house to hang out and just talk and catch up and I think there's really something nice about making home feel extra homey after a trip and just kind of like getting into it, you know, leaning into that feeling of like, this is where I'm going to be. Like, everybody come over, let's talk, let's hang. And, and there's something really nice about that, especially if it's the fall and winter and you're in a cold place like New York. Um, that like nesting, warm meal. Oh, so, so nice. And Lauren, before we wrap up, you have some really exciting news that we've been rolling out on our website um, in the last couple of weeks. Totally. Our uh, Women Who Travel Advisory Board. I'm sure if you follow us on Instagram or read everything that we're doing online, you've seen our Q&As with our advisory board members. Um, we have assembled nine extraordinary women to kind of in the spirit of advice and advising and, and just showing us um, the path and taking us further, showing us how to make women who travel bigger and better. And, uh, you know, on our path to global dominance, <laughs> we have um, we have a team of nine women, um, some like Megan Rapino, you've heard of. Others are uh, just these extraordinary, badass business women who are killing it in their fields and in travel. Um, whether it's hotels, cruises, they are they are the leaders that we look to, um, and so we're just really excited to to share them with with everybody and and uh, you know take this to the next level. 
And the Q&As will be rolling out over the next two months, month and a half, so you can keep checking up to see them. But you can find the whole list of advisory board members um, at womenwhotravel.com, right? Uh, yeah. And so far, we have interviews with the Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist, Lindsay Adario. Um, so Jessica, cool. Which, I mean... She's just incredible. She, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I mean, it's fine because it was... Please I, check out her I Instagram because if you have not, and if you've not read her like best-selling books, but just check it out. Yeah, I mean, she's a legend. A legend among us. Um, so uh, Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist Lindsay Adaro. We've also got Jessica Nabongo, who I'm sure if you listen to the podcast regularly, you recognize her name. And you have also been, heard her voice last week. Yeah. <laughs> episode. And have been following her journey on Instagram as she becomes and has actually officially become the first black woman to visit every country in the world. I feel like we need an applause, like sound for each Battle of them. Soundtrack. I know. Yeah. Beep, beep, um, like hit the, hit the like sit DJ button. <laughs> and as Meredith said, you can see the full list on our website at womenwhotravel.com. So, Megan, if people want to get advice from you, from your travel specialists that you've been in contact with, um, where should they ask questions to be featured in the advice column and what kinds of questions should they ask? You can ask literally anywhere you can find us. I will be looking for your questions. Um, but you can email womenwhotravel at cntraveler.com, which, Meredith, can you put that in the show notes? Done. <laughs> Is that how it works? Okay. Um, you can DM us on the Women Who Travel Instagram. We have a couple of posts in the group where we've shared previous advice column questions. You can drop comments there. And send a smoke signal. I am listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we have had a ton of questions roll in. And I think some people have asked how to get their question chosen because, again, we'll assemble a team of experts to dive in and give you answers. The best questions are the ones like if you, um, the last one we did about traveling with small children and the one before that about starting solo travel. Um, if you check them out, you'll see they have a lot of detail in what they're looking for. And it's kind of a multi-part question. So those are fun for us to, you know, those kind of warrant a longer answer. And those are the kind of questions we're looking for. But in terms of topics, I meant to, when I said anything, if it relates to traveling as a woman, um, we're interested. And I know some people have DM'd you personally. So what is your Instagram handle for people to find you on the internet? You can find me at Spirelli. And Lale. At Lale Hanna. If you DM me with your questions and problems, I'll direct you to at Spirelli. <laughs> <laughs> and Lauren. Um, at El DiCarlo. And can I just say, if anyone is feeling like they cannot handle family travel, just let's talk about it. Let's, you got a friend in me. Let's, I want to, I just want people to know that they, you don't have to always be that superstar traveler, even if you once were. It's okay for you not to be that person for five minutes while you're figuring it out. So Lauren's DMs are open. And I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. You can find the podcast every Tuesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can read all of our stories at womenwhotravel.com. That's it. That's the end of the podcast. Enjoy. Enjoy.